Father God, we worship you this morning. Lord, we just come and we lift up your name. Lord, we come into this place, Lord, not a bubble away from the world, but Lord, um, just to experience some of your kingdom within it. Father, to know unity and love and grace in a way that, Lord, our current nation is experiencing the polar opposite. We pray, Father, now as we just think on these things uh, for a few minutes, we pray for wisdom, pray for humility. We pray, Lord, for hearts that would seek your kingdom above all kingdoms. But Lord, we would seek your will above all wills, including our own. We pray, Lord, that you would speak to us as Christians, as church, about what it means to be church, Lord, now, today. Father God, we pray that we wouldn't get sucked into um, the way the world, our country, is dividing. That we would, Lord, show a better way, a better path. That we would be the example you've called us to be, a kingdom of priests, Father God, in but not the same. Father God, be with us now, we pray, as we look at these words together. In Jesus' name, amen. So last Thursday, like most of you, I guess, I hope, <laughs> um, I went along to Leventhorpe and voted in the EU referendum. And, uh, and whilst I was in the booth, um, I remember being quite struck by the gravity of that decision. It hit me as I voted um, that really Friday morning, regardless of the vote almost, was going to be a turning point in our history, uh, a decision that only history can tell us was good or bad, and we'll have to wait to find out. Emotions have been running very high in the months leading up to our referendum on our place in Europe, and we've seen and heard some truly inspiring, passionate people speak for and against in their campaigning and their arguing. Some of it has been quite humbling, quite inspiring, quite wonderful to watch. However, alongside that passion, we've seen some of the very worst in humanity. We've seen personal attacks, false truths, name-calling, perhaps summed up or illustrated rather embarrassingly with the flotilla standoff along the Thames just a few days or week ago. But we're out. That is the decision. That is the position. That is our reality for a time, at least. And what should we be thinking about it this morning? Is there a Christian position? What should we say? What should we do? How should we react? How do we understand a vote of out? What does it mean for us as the church? This morning, I speak about the church above all. And I want to make just a few points this morning. And I hope they're useful to you. Number one is that God is still in charge. That God is still sovereign. Isaiah chapter 40 verse 21 to 23 says this. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth. And its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to nothing. He reduces rulers of this world to nothing. Change almost always brings fear and worry. And that fear can cripple us. But the Bible is very clear this morning that despite the uncertainty of a nation's future, God is above all. 
He is above every other throne and he is still on his. And for us, in this uncertain time as Christians, we needn't be frightened. If you feel scared this morning, you needn't be full of fear. Mr. Cameron may be gone. Mr. Corbyn may be on his way out, almost certainly. But our God is not. Our God still reigns. That matters more than anything else. Psalm 115, verse 3, puts it pretty bluntly. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. We can rest in the knowledge as Christians that above all wills of governments and the voting public is the irresistible will of God Almighty that always achieves and accomplishes what he purposes it to do. Psalm um, chapter 40, verse 9, all the way to 31. Uh, it's quite long, so I don't think I'm going to read it all out. Um, just outlines the sovereignty and the majesty and the power and the rule of our God, that he is above everything, asking questions like, who can fathom the spirit of the Lord? Who can instruct him as his counsellor? And then saying things like, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Before him all the nations are nothing. They're regarded to him as worthless, less than nothing. It's poetic way of saying God is bigger than what the world can do. With whom will you compare God? An idol? Of course not. And then it says these wonderful words, Isaiah 40. Do you not know? Have you not um, heard? I've read these already. He sits above uh, the circle of the earth. He brings princes to nothing. And then he says... Who will you compare me? Who is my equal, says the Holy One? Lift up your eyes. Look to the heavens. Who created these? He who brings out the starry host one by one calls forth each by name because of his great power and might. None of them are missing. And then we read later on, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary. The young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That is our God above all. Isaiah 55 Verse 10 and 11 says, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it uh, bud and flourish, so it yields for the seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word, God, my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. As Christians, our position this morning, regardless of what side you are on, is confidence. Not in men, or governments, or proposals, or legislation, but confidence in the throne of your God, and his majesty, and his power. Because he is above all powers, and above all thrones, and above all gods, and kings, and rulers, and everybody else. But we know that our world is fragile. In Matthew 24 verse 7, Jesus himself said, nation will rise against nation. This is the world we live in. Unstable, changeable, fragile. 
This is the world we have always belonged to. Hebrews 12 speaks into this shakable world when the writer of Hebrews, who's writing to terrified Christians, worried Christians, he says to them that God is shaking the nations by his voice of warning. And to this uh, group of worried, terrified Christians, he says these beautiful words to Christians who worry about their fragile world. He says, at this time, his voice shook the earth But now he has promised once more, I will shake it, not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, not frightened, but thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire the writer of Hebrews says to Christians who are being persecuted who feel frightened of the future that they belong not to a fragile world but to an unshakable kingdom the very kingdom of God a kingdom that is coming a kingdom that is on its way the Bible doesn't say the kingdom of God's going to arrive and you've missed it It's like a seed, it's become a great tree. It's going to swallow up everything. The kingdom of God is coming to earth and it is growing and one day it will be the only kingdom and he will be the only king. There will be no rival and that kingdom will have no end. And so as Christians we are to remember that we are in the world but we are not of the world. As Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 says, our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom we belong to is good, holy, pure, right, solid, built on rock and is unshakable. And our response, regardless of our political views, isn't to cling to the kingdoms or the promises of men for our hope and our help, whether in or out. Our job as Christians is to know where we really belong, which is the kingdom of God, and to spend our last dying breath bringing the ethics of God's kingdom into whatever kingdom we find ourselves in this morning. Our job is to take what is good from God's kingdom and try and plant it on earth. Like the Lord's Prayer says, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our citizenship belongs up there our reality is down here our job is to bring heaven to earth in our families our workplaces our government our schools everywhere that is our job god is still on the throne my second point is that we've been here before our gospel and the church has seen the rise of great kingdoms Also, pretty terrible ones. The church has seen nations rise and nations fall. The church was born under the rule of an ungodly empire. But do you know what the gospel did to that ungodly empire a few hundred years later? It converted its main leader, Constantine, and it became completely different. The church has stood through peace and war, plenty and little It stood when it's been loved, it stood when it's been hated. And over 2,000 years, it has been the one institution that has often led the way in reforming and holding kings and governments to account. We have often been the conscience 
of a nation rather than just its citizens. Think of people like Shaftesbury and Wilberforce and Elizabeth Fry, just to remember a few famous uh, older people from the past. The church has stood and grown in the most unlikely setting. Think of China, North Korea, the Middle East, where the gates of hell have come against it, but to no avail. And whilst it's been persecuted, it's preached the gospel of love and peace. And do you know that China, China, all the persecution that's gone on with the church for the last 50, 60, 70 years, do you know it is on course to become the largest Christian nation on earth? Hallelujah. Why do we fear? Things go up, things break, they rise, they fall. The church stands, the gospel is proclaimed. And God always wins. God always wins. There ain't never a time in history where God will lose. I've read the final page to quote, I think it's C.S. Lewis. I've, or maybe it's either that or Cliff Richard, I forget. Um, but I've read the final page of the book, and guess what? He wins. He wins. That was the wrong time for a joke, sorry. None of us know the future. Not one of us in this room knows what comes next. Not one single person, not one government minister, not one analyst, not one newspaper article writer can tell us what happens tomorrow or the day after or the day after. But know this, regardless of what happens, regardless of how you feel, you may feel great joy, you may feel great sadness this morning. Know this, that God will not change. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. And then Malachi chapter 3 verse 6, God simply says, I the Lord do not change. Our world changes all the time, for good or for bad. God doesn't. And guess what? Neither does his church and its mission. God has given us a very clear purpose that he wants us to carry on with, regardless if we're in or out of Europe. And let me remind you what God has called his church to be for every single day of its history on this planet. Micah chapter 6 verse 8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Isaiah chapter 58 verse 6 to 10. They moan about God. We do all this fasting and all this religious stuff and God's ignoring us. And then God speaks to his rebellious people and he said, Is this not the kind of fasting that I want? To loose the chains of injustice, untie the cords of the yoke and set the oppressed free to break every yoke. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood. That is our purpose, regardless of where we are. Matthew 28, the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And let's not forget the great commandment. Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. This is our mission. This is what God has called his bride to be. His bride will be beautiful when it accomplishes its God-given, unchanging purpose. There's been a lot of talk about all the rights that we might lose now we're out of Europe. And I'm not going to go on to any of that because I'm in the middle. But let me say one thing to you. Someone told me once that there are a million evangelical Christians in the UK. One million. That's churches like us. That's not to mention all the other different denominations that go either side. But one million evangelicals. One million people who proclaim Christ as their saviour. One million people who would say amen to Micah 6 eight, amen to Isaiah 58 and the great commission, the great commandment. One million people who have been given a God-given mandate to stand up for the unjust, uh, to stand up against injustice, injustice, to fight for the poor, to stand up for the people that are being oppressed, to preach the gospel, to save the lost and to make a difference. One million people. What if I was to say that if we come out of Europe and we lose all of our rights, it is a failing, not of government, but of the church. There's one million of us like us, but there are a lot more. I believe that what God is calling his church to do now isn't to get muddied by political mudslinging and name-calling, but simply to stand up and play its part in this new reality, whatever that new reality will be, because none of us actually know. So we must, this morning and all the mornings that follow, be an example to our divided nation, that there can be unity. We must be peacemakers. We must be the ones that protect the rights of the oppressed, who show grace, patience, love in defeat and in victory, who seek unity not division, if we can sit in this room and love each other, both sides of the spectrum, then that's a hope for our country. We must preach the gospel into this new landscape. We must preach Christ, the King of Kings, to those who are lost. And we must now, more than ever, engage in politics. We must stand up for the downtrodden, the fragile and the marginalised. We must make our nation better, not because of a vote, but because it has an active church that knows what it's for. We must bring the kingdom of God into the UK. And for the record, just in case you didn't realise, that has always been our job, in or out. But above all, we must pray without ceasing for our leaders, even if we don't like them. That is what the Bible tells us to do. We must pray for our towns and our cities, our villages and our hamlets, for our leaders, both local and national, for our children and our elderly. We must pray for unity because the decision has been made, but nothing has changed because God is still on the throne. The decision is made and everything has changed. But it's our time to stand and bring goodness and peace. The future is certain. God's kingdom will come. His will will be done. The future is uncertain. But it is time, church, to fulfill our God-given purpose again. To make this nation not great, but good. 
for all. So do not fear this morning. Trust in God. Follow Jesus. Act for justice and peace. Preach the gospel every single day. You are a city on a hill. Let your light shine. Don't hide away. Let's just take a few minutes just before we sing our final song. Um, perhaps just pray quietly to ourselves. Just bring anything that I've said or any way you're feeling and just ask God for his blessing on this situation that he will just bless our nation um, in these baby steps into an uncertain future. But just pray for God's blessing on all of it and for you. Let's just take a few minutes. Father God, we just want to pray, Lord, just over what's been said. Father God, deliberately um, not, not wanting to get drawn into uh, in or out and who's right, who's wrong. Um, Father God, I believe there's something greater to be spoken of. And I believe there is that your church needs to wake up, but needs to be far more active. Lord, 200 years ago, Lord, uh, we were engaged in everything. Christians were at every level of society. Lord, we were bringing the gospel and the ethics of your kingdom. Lord, perhaps not always very well, but there were Christians, Lord, at every level, very loudly, very clearly. Lord, the church has retreated over 200 years, Lord, into its own buildings, worrying and getting upset over internal matters. And Lord, there is a world that needs us. It needs us, Lord, to show the way of peace and forgiveness and reconciliation. Father God, we don't presume to know what our tomorrows will bring. Father God, but our confidence isn't in whoever replaces Cameron or Corbyn or whatever happens with um, anything else. But Lord, our confidence is you. You are the one, Lord, that made the world out of nothing. The world is yours and everything in it, including its political processes. So we pray for our leaders. Father, I do pray for David and Samantha Cameron. Father God, whatever we may feel, Father God, I pray for them as a married couple, as human beings, and the absolute sadness on their faces when he announced his resignation. We pray, Lord, for all those of influence, for integrity, Lord, that they will do what's right by every member of this country, and that you will bless our future. Father God, may it be a good one. May it be a good one. But Lord, may your church not leave the future to those who don't know you, but may we be the one calling for what that future can be, because we do know you. Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, raise us up, Lord, to fight the good fight, to make good Britain, not great Britain. In Jesus' name, amen. Just where you, just where you're seated, um, as we're seated, let's just uh, sing quietly. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice.
Um, let's just be closing prayer. If you want to pray with someone, Corinne and Doreen will just be at the front. Um, if you want to just pray with somebody, um, there's tea and coffee next door. Um, so, should we just pray as we finish? Father God, we just want to lift up this morning. Father God, in a sense, what we do at church Lord, it hasn't changed. We're all about praising your name as the King of Kings. But, Lord, um, I know for me those words, those promises, Lord, uh, have taken on a, a much richer uh, sense this morning. Father God, you are hope. Lord, you're the one we trust. And Lord, it's often only in uncertainty that our faith really comes alive because we know, Lord, we can no longer trust each other or we're not sure if we can. And Father God, we thank you that we can always trust you. You are our rock in times of trouble. Lord, there is no other rock, uh, you say in your word. You are our refuge and our strength. Father God, we pray for strength. We pray for boldness. But Lord, we pray this week that as we leave this place as your people, as people known to be Christians, ambassadors of jesus christ that lord they will hear words out of our mouth not them and their vote or them and not their vote but they will hear us and our country and love and togetherness and reconciliation father god may we be the people that plant the right seeds this week into a divided nation in jesus name amen